And welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, mah.uk.com for medical accountancy needs and also to lifelinehealthcaregroup.co.uk for the best locum rates. So hello and welcome to the Two Medics podcast. I am Therusha Gunawardena, I'm a cardiology registrar, sub-specialising in coronary intervention. And this week, guys, well, what can I say? I've got a very, very special guest for you. Please introduce yourself. Well, I'm the special guest now. It's been that long. I mean, I, it does feel a bit nostalgic, doesn't it, coming back? I mean, I had the familiar story of me falling asleep prior to us having to start the podcast. Oh, I should introduce myself. My name is uh, Imran Laskam, I'm a consultant radiologist, and uh, welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Um, yeah, it's nice to be back, man. It's nice to be back. It's uh, It's been a while. It, it does feel, um, you know, it's going to take a bit of time to ease back into the uh, the whole groove of things. Even signing in, Mike Rabi, my wife, was saying, um, what are you doing? It's like, the podcast. She goes, oh, yeah, I forgot oh, about that. Yeah, oh, oh, that wow. thing. Oh, that thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, how you been, man? You've done a sterling job. You've done a sterling job. I've been enjoying uh listening to our guests and uh, they've been all br- been brilliant haven't they, they they've yeah they been have fantastic and, they've been brilliant i've been to- i've been mate i've been stressing i'm so glad to have you back jeez uh you can go no back mate i don't know why you were i mean we i've enjoyed it and I, you oh. know what i've got to say i told you like um the phrase that you said i mean was it i'm enduring ramadan i'm not observing it. it observing, observing it. yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that was as accurate as it gets i mean wow that was that was tough man uh, i'm mm. so glad to be um, i mean you know i'm going to just remove all the religiousness out of it I just forget all that stuff yeah i mean there's obviously all that stuff i'm talking about the actual starvation is horrendous <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the actual starvation is horrendous i did not enjoy the starvation at all on any level yeah uh, but that's the point that is the point i guess so uh, yeah. yeah and you're making up yeah. for it now right uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I went for some ch- yeah, yeah. I think I mean, I've lost a huge amount of weight. I, I mean, you probably won't be able to tell on the on the camera, but um, yeah, I've lost a huge amount of weight. But it's all good. It's all good. Easy come, easy go is what I always say. And um, yeah. you know, very much yeah, eating my way back uh, into uh, a few more kilos. Um, yeah. yeah, but um, you had some wonderful guests, didn't we? Um, we had Zach. Uh, we had Nav. We had the other radiologist. Okay, yeah. so that's that's awesome. And Nav was great fun, wasn't he? Uh, we had a takeover from Nina and uh, Bethan again, and we had Jamie and Chris doing the uh, the lads episode. I mean, when I was listening to those, I really felt like I missed it. I was like, oh, you know, I should be there, man. I should be there. And do you remember that day? You were like, Imran, do you want to come come back for, mm. for like, the last minute? And I was really considering, it, and then I think I fell asleep again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean. It's it was uh, yeah it's good to have you back, man. I mean, like over this whole week, I've been so excited. You can see that I've like flooded our sheet with topics. It's like three yeah, pages long now. There's loads of topics this week, but then it's just med Twitter, isn't it? There's just so much to talk about as well. There is so much to talk about, um, uh, and yeah, there's so much to sort of really think about, undress, and hopefully learn from. Right. Um, so where do you want to start, Thrusha? Uh, well, yeah, we I thought there's one that I kind of seemed that kind of seemed apt to have you back for, which is um, a thread from at Doc Russ Jackson. And his mm. his kind of uh, Twitter handle or his kind of name is Get a Grip, which I don't, that's not relevant, but it just, you know, if you're looking for him. Um, he's really good. Uh, he tweets a lot about the government and stuff. But anyway, he talked about, uh, there's a tweet from um, the 11 a.m. on January the 28th. That's ages ago, but I think he must have retweeted that. That's why it came to my attention. And mm. he wrote the words, and the way to deal with 
uh, opposition in the media is to flood the zone with shit. Now, I feel like that is a kind of Diet Coke version of what of your line. Do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, it's dilute the pollution, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. We've had a few people quote that over the last few months, hasn't it? Like actually put that into action and stuff. So yeah. that's, that's basically what the Tories are doing. I mean, like you're basically <laughs> like a Dom- Dominic Cummins 2.0. Like you could be, you could be the... But mate, I mean, this doesn't make any sense because, like, I mean, what what are they doing? Are they, have they got good policies and they're trying to dilute it with a whole load of pollution? Is that what they're saying? Or are you yeah, going to just dilute everything as much as possible with absolute rubbish and then you don't know where to go and you just end up voting Tory again? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so confused. Like, oh, but I remember the colour blue, so I'll just vote for them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine if that worked as a trainee? Like, if, okay, no, the way <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get through my training is do the worst you know, work-based yeah. assessments possible, and then they will know what to do with me. They're going to have to yeah. let me through. I mean, is that possible? Can someone try this out for me and tell me if this is the case? And I've wasted a lot of time trying to <laughs> get half decent ones. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just Tory for you. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, maybe I'm being cynical these days, but I don't see how they're going to lose anything anytime soon. I mean, it's just everything they get up to and everything that you keep reading about them, everything that seems to be so detrimental to to so many people just seems to be um ignored doesn't it just Mm. they're still there they're still there i think with you being off for ramadan i think um also a lot of the links that i put in there have been food related because i think i swear to god like all the messages that i've been sending you (laughs) have been food related and i'm like it's not on purpose i'm always like sending you a message and be like oh sorry sorry it's the best yeah i saw this one which was really good and i'm not sure Mm. have you had it before have you had a jamaican patty before you know what? Like I haven't, and I've right. seen them in Tesco's, right. and I've seen halal ones in Tesco's, and I keep thinking, oh, one these days I'm going to buy one, but I never I'm have. I never got around oh. to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... I mean, I, I don't know where I could get halal ones otherwise, but I just saw them there, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I might buy that one day, but I haven't, I haven't got around to it. Uh, well, um, well have you had one? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like my dad used to have a, a corner shop, and next door there was like a place that would do them. I think it was like an ethnic place, and mm. and you get them hot. Which is why I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if you should get it from a supermarket. But when it's hot and like the outside of the patty is still kind of like crispy and you kind of, you're eating it with a white paper bag that's kind of like drenched in the oil. You know, that whole thing. <laughs> it's just, that's like a special experience in itself. Really? Um, okay, we're going to have to do this. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, don't, I can't say I've had one. Really, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't say I've had one. Um, okay. We'll yeah, um, yeah. Then we should we should do that, isn't it? But I mean, look, Thrusha, if you if you're walking around um, and 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 you saw a sign saying uh, BJ's in your PJ's, uh, come socialize and eat ice, <laughs> ice cream in your pajamas. <laughs> would that would that uh, pique an interest at all? Would that be something you want to you you go into and have a see in what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, isn't there? So there's BJ's in your PJ's. So this is uh, BJ's. It refers to Ben and Jerry's, doesn't it? Yeah, you dirty people. This is not smut med Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) It's a clean show, come on. I I like how they do, so it says come come socialise and eat ice cream in your pyjamas. But the thing is, is that the uh, the ice and then the cream in your pyjamas is a separate line. (laughs) 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 So so that BJ in your PJs is, you know, the the one to kind of, the gut punch. And then the cream in your pyjamas is the little kind of like, at the end, a little flourish. It's lovely. <laughs> I mean, you can't, whoever wrote that sign. So we're referring to um, a poster that was tweeted and someone said, um, phrasing question mark. And there is this poster saying BJ's in your PJ's with referring to Ben and Jerry's ice cream and nothing else. Uh, come socialize and eat ice cream. 
uh, in your pajamas. Oh yeah, and it says cream in your pajamas. So it's been strategically put. So the next yeah. sentence, cream in pajamas. That um, person. It's not that, by accident. It can't be. It yeah, can't exactly. Be. That person knew exactly what they're doing. So where? So yeah. where? So wait. Where is this on offer, though? Seriously, though, where is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, just in case you're just thinking, well, we, we should check this out. We should check this yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, for <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is the kind of thing that you send me during a mid fast when I'm starving, and then you'd be like, hey man, <laughs> BJ's and PJs, and be like, um. For a number of reasons, it's not really something I can partake in right now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed making you feel bad every time. Every time you did, um, you did message me, <laughs> yeah, and you're like, "Oh, mate, I'm so." Uh, what, what was the other day? You said something. Like, oh, mate, I just had the dirtiest burger. I did this and I did this, oh, and yeah. I'm like, "Thrusha, I'm just really hungry right now." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and then I messaged you when you were messaging. You you tweeted about coffee machines, didn't you? And I was like, "What well, can yeah. you drink coffee?" And you were like, "Yeah, like after certain times, I still can." And I was like, "Mate, I'm joking. It was like, you know, can you drink water?" And you were like, "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took oh. it too seriously, didn't I? Yeah, uh, that coffee machine, man. A lot of people are well into their coffee. And I was like, man, these lot. Are... There was uh, some really good suggestions out there. It was, um, yeah, interesting reading. And uh, some some people got a little bit. Um, yeah, there seemed to be camps. You know, yeah, a few people sure. with delongies, a few people were. I don't even know how to say the word. Jajia, Gadia. Oh, and then yeah, there was sage. Yeah, there was a few, and um, yeah, yeah, it was quite nice. Uh, yeah, I, um, I I've got a sage. I've got a sage oh. touch, which is it's nice. Um, yeah. I, I'm not really into coffee. So I don't really know. I mean, if it's good, it's good. But for me, it's, it's good enough, man. It's, it's a lovely machine and does a, a good enough coffee for me. So, and I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to get into that whole grounding and like the timing. And there, there's so many things you can go into. It's like, right. like just press the button and get it made. I'm happy. Yeah, it's all good. Coffee just seems to be what we we run on, isn't it? I mean, that just yeah. seems to be how a lot of the NHS uh, runs. And I think even someone said to me, um, "Are you like a secret anesthetist or something?" Um, <laughs> I think earlier today. So I thought it was quite funny. But you know, talking about um, you know what makes us run, you know, day to day, the whole NHS. It's just a bit. It's sometimes you kind of read tweets and it does get you, doesn't it? So there's one that was uh, on exec today. I just heard a story of a consultant who needed a desk diary for seven pound fifty. So seven pound fifty, okay? They they needed a diary. It's going to help them run through the day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they went through seven managers and ended up at exec level. And the request sent back saying, "Please use IT system if not resubmit." And we wonder why the NHS is broken. I mean, where do you where do you go with that, mate? I mean, you want a seven pound fifty diary to try and help yourself be organised, and you can't even uh get anything like that because well you know it's a bit like that hot food thing isn't it mm. like they you know like why uh, people don't want to partake in that kind of thing have you ever been in that situation where you're trying to um get something done try and get something sorted and uh it just goes through all these hoops and stuff and it comes out like computer says no yeah yeah definitely i mean it's usually over silly things like you know a broken a persistently broken printer somewhere or like, you know, having to, like our on-call phone for a while was kind of like broken and just trying to get a new one. You almost have to like mm. submit something like a business case. It's ridiculous. I think there's some interesting oh, wow. replies to that thread because they do kind of go from the, this is ridiculous, or working in the NHS. And then there are the kind of interesting comment uh, comments like, £7.50 is quite a lot. And then they talk about how things are marked up for the NHS. And Selva mm. replied saying, for now in GPs, in GP, it's just a matter of asking one manager. And it will be fun times when you're taken over by hospital trusts and large corporates as per policy paper to get rid of partners. Mm. So I guess then it will become more bureaucratic, which is essentially what this guy's complaining about, isn't it? A layers of bureaucracy mm. and not able to get the end result. But interestingly, then there was the other replies where you're like, 
where people said something along the lines of, why didn't you just get it yourself on Amazon? And I'm like, oh, but then that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Everything with the NHS was, is kind of seems to be relying on that goodwill, doesn't it? And then mm, once you start true. giving that, then when does it stop? I think. I, it reminds me actually, um, uh, well, I actually had the opposite experience once where I went to a new, I was training someone new and um, there was no TV in the red room. And I thought, well, mm. I need a TV because if I'm going to be staying in overnight, I, I, I normally watch TV. And so I managed to get all the regs to um, put some money in and we're about to buy the TV. But then someone said, do you mind just mentioning it to the manager? You're going to get the TV. So I went around, found the manager, sat in his office and I said to him, listen, um, uh, I need something for the red room. And I wonder if you can, if you can help me here or if you can be okay with it. And he kind of looked up at the ceiling and said, oh, here we go, what do you want? And I said, look, I, I want to buy a TV and it's going to cost this much secondhand. And he goes, oh, is that it? And he took out an envelope and just gave me the money. <laughs> and said, go on then. And I'm like, <laughs> why have you got why have you got envelopes full of money just <laughs> wow yeah wow. it was it was the most bizarre thing yeah and he just didn't seem bothered at all like go away but then um i did ask them so i thought okay that's pretty easy and then um, i noticed that there was no wrist um you know where you're trying to type on the keyboard and there's kind of wrist support so that'd be quite good to have for everyone so i went and asked him again and he told me to get lost like in in a polite way and i was like man why are you so cool just give me money for the tv but then you don't want to give money for the wrist support i mean surely that's a useful thing anyway um yeah it is it can get a bit um Parties. i don't know yeah Parties. exactly exactly yeah it is it realize, is strange isn't it i realized that i use something called i use the slippery slope argument which is mm. I, I hate it when people do that so i shouldn't use that but my point mm. is, is that it, sh- it shouldn't be uh, up to NHS staff to kind of supplement these. There should be, you know, simply put, there should be things in place for you to do your job efe- efficiently. And it shouldn't rely on the goodwill of workers, isn't it, to run a company? But I mean, that, that's the way with so many things, right? Like when people pull their money together to get a sofa for the mess room or something. or You know what I mean? Like uh, so much of it, uh, it would be nice if the, the hospital would provide certain facilities um, yeah. to make work easier and nicer. But it just doesn't happen. Um, unfortunately, you've like, got to get yeah, but the sofa, yeah. but the sofa's like nicer rather than easier. Whereas you could argue like, how does the kind of organizer make your work nicer? It makes it easier though, right? Yeah, I mean, arguably it'll make you more efficient, isn't it? Uh, what, what, that's what one would hope that person's doing rather than just doodling or something, isn't it? Or drawing, <laughs> yeah. drawing pictures of tractors or something of that effect. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you see all that stuff? That was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Did you see there was a response from like one of his friends who was like, oh, yes, but that's because he's looking up a particular type of tractor, the Dominator. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tractor called the Dominator. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That There's is, tractor uh, names. Yeah, mate. I mean, you know, I can imagine how that became a slippery slope. He searched that and then decided to search for the next Dominator. Yeah. Um, yeah. His his interview was just so brilliant. I was like, I'll wait for the official response. I, and it was like, why did you bother coming out and talking to anyone if that's all you're going to say, mate? Like, give us something to be entertained. I mean, this is why people vote for you people, because you're entertaining, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> Who else is going to give us these gems of moments, uh, moments like that, right? It's just, mm. just absolutely incredible. Uh, there was another tweet, I mean, talking about language, um, which you wanted to talk about, didn't you? It was quite a uh, language uh, from Trisha Elliott, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Language is fascinating and so is medicine. Uh, yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about this one, Trisha? Yeah, sure. So this is a tweet from Trisha Elliott. Her handle is at uh, Trisha underscore the underscore doc. And so the title of her tweet is language is fascinating and so is medicine. And she's tweeting an article in the BMJ. And it's, it's an interesting read. Uh, so the article's written by Katrina... 
Katrina Cox, who's an academic clinical fellow, one, and Zoe mm-hmm. Fritz, who's a welcome fellow in society and ethics. Well done to you two. And the title of the article is Presenting Complaint, Use of Language that Disempowers Patients. And it is something, I guess, that people do talk about in general parlance. So I guess when I originally mm-hmm. like clicked on the article, I didn't really think that there was necessarily going to be much in there that I hadn't seen before. Like, I always kind of felt it was a little bit funny when people write missed STEMI. That's one that always kind of rankles a little bit. Or when mm. people write refuses treatment, I always find that's a little bit kind of pejorative, like it doesn't mm. need to be that strong and it kind of casts the patient in a particular way. But um, mm. there are some other really interesting examples as part of the article. You do have to be a BMA member to kind of uh, to read the article. But um, mm. if you are, I definitely recommend checking it out because it talks about some interesting other, I guess, other things that we kind of take for granted. For example, presenting complaint. I guess now when, mm. when you say it out loud, complaint, why do we use that term? I mean, are we being oversensitive? Or, well, I, don't, I don't think we are, but um, I just think it's kind of interesting to think about. These things are always interesting when they get brought up. Like, you know, now you mentioned present a complaint is something that you think, oh, okay, yeah. Because um, until someone brings it up, you don't even think twice about it because it's so ingrained in the way that we do things. Yeah. And. You know, like like you said just then about um, when you write something like patient refused or something like that. Like I, I've noticed that I when when a patient does refuse, I don't even say that. I said, unfortunately, this could not be it could not be done for whatever reason, and then leave it at that because we have had occasions where someone, some patient has complained and said, well, you know, I didn't refuse. It just wasn't explained to me properly by such and such person. I just found myself having to go through this. And I, don't, I want someone to explain it to me or I didn't want to have it on that day. doesn't mean I don't want it later. So saying I refuse is not fair. So now I'm a bit more careful because especially nowadays that they can access the reports and the notes and things like that if they want to. Some people pick up on things that you don't even think twice about, you know. Um, uh, yeah, and I think um, that that is an, an important thing to to take into consideration, especially nowadays when we're writing notes and the ability for them to, to be able to access things, you've got to think about what could it sound like yeah. from, the other, from their point of view. You know? Yeah, and even just that, I mean, they kind of say that we know that the language we use also kind of will affect the way that the next person might kind of approach them. So already mm. you're kind of setting the mindset for the next person. So if you write poorly controlled diabetic, stigmatized i mean that's the example they use it's stigmatized and you're already it's cut there's a judgment with that mm. is it really necessary to have that yeah um, and so i think it's about being careful although i think people argue that is that kind of being pedantic but i think really we're just trying to is it really pedantic to consider other people's feelings and then i mean this kind of leads us on quite nicely onto the other tweet by susan david uh, phd where actually well, I mean, this particular tweet, the way it relates is because they tweeted, accurately labeling emotions as psychological superpower. It transforms a murky experience like stress into a finite one with boundaries and name like disappointment or depleted. It enables you to effectively move forward towards your needs and values. And this is, um, I know when people say, oh, you know, you're, you're going into the details too much. It doesn't mean all that much and all that kind of thing. But when someone brings that up, it does by giving it something, some sort of label or kind of showing you a slightly different definition to a word that we may use all the time. It does make you think, right? Um, and like I was saying to you earlier, I was talking to a sort of a mutual friend about pride and uh, I was saying, look, um, I have a good friend and they were saying to me that um, imagine all the things that you could achieve with that pride. If you can get rid of pride, then you'll be able to get a lot further. And I, I really believe that to be true. And I really try and take that on board. And then we ended up talking about pride in your work. And I think at some point during the conversation, I realized that we were talking about different definitions of pride. There's pride 
in terms of how uh, it can facilitate your ego and make it bigger. And there's pride in your work in that, you know, you're trying to do a good job and be proud of the work that you do. And they're completely two different things. And so we were talking, weren't we? Like, thanks to our little Twitter journey that we've had, we felt as though defining, um, finding definitions for certain arguments and uh, reactions to hyperbole, I suppose, has enabled us to be able to identify reasons as to why we get upset about certain things, right? I mean, you, you had a good example, didn't you? Yeah, I think the thing is, is that for me, um, and I think it's the power of language, right? Because it helps you articulate what your kind, the dissonance or that kind of feeling that you have inside. Because, and I used to often get it uh, when people would kind of, you know, when you'd kind of go through the, I'd always have to go through the dance of my name, like having to explain my name to people and then being like, oh, it's long and where's it from? And I used to always find mm. that that would cause like a little, a little bit of, and that's, it's difficult to explain, a dissonance, like an unhappy sensation. And then when mm. people started talking about microaggressions and how often that kind of, the people taking that conversation in that direction in itself, even though it's not kind of tacitly, that's not like obviously kind of antagonistic in its own mm. impl- implication, implicational way was still antagonizing. And mm. you could describe that as a microaggression and giving a name to that kind of interaction. I found it very kind of empowering because it made me mm. kind of understand what it was that was making me unsettled. And it was just mm. an unsettled situation, which maybe may have been maybe 10 seconds of discomfort, but one that I'd experienced mm. many, many times. And so to mm. hear that, that term, um, I think was very kind of like, not the word is like, like a, a bomb like effect because mm. it kind of made me think oh, I understand actually that was why I felt upset and now I've got a word mm. to describe it and you kind of almost think can kind of put it in a little box like that's what it was mm. yeah you know there's kind of days where you kind of I'm not entirely sure why that upset me or what's going on like why am I feeling bad about this and now mm. yeah you know you get better at sort of identifying what what it is uh, the other thing I would say actually been quite a positive experience from all of this is actually um you know, like after a while, you start to you start to get used to certain arguments and the way that certain people will bring forward an argument or reply to an argument. Like you know, as as telling where there was a tweet, um, which I I think I would have right. I think I even put like, oh wow, uh, I think Su- uh, Susanna, uh, what was that one? Um, oh, that's it. Sorry, um, Azara Sultana. Sultana yeah. yeah, she uh, tweeted a story about a nonverbal uh, black teenager who who has never left the UK. Uh, got detained and uh, put at a, put at an immigration centre, and um, there were so basically you you got a black teenager who who can't talk and um, for whatever reason they were detained and they were actually going to get um, well sent away and um, it, I mean the, I mean yeah up, where do you want to go mean, with that yeah th- that story <laughs> is just so like I was reading it and literally my like my eyebrows were just all over the place <laughs> yeah literally i was like what is going on yeah. he was so he was he was originally in a hospital in kent and then somehow he got sectioned under the mental health act by the british transport police because they were like mm. for fair evasion like the guy was in hospital like what he's not evading anything he, that guy was like you know in some distress and then mm. the, he had some documents on him so this guy non-verbal can't communicate much Somehow they, they said that he's from Nigeria. He's not Nigerian. He's from the UK. But somehow, they, like, which in itself sounds like this is like this is race, some racism is going on here. And, maybe, just uh, maybe. Just maybe. And then they're like threatening to like deport him. And like in these papers, I'm like, this poor boy, like the, the amount of distress that he must have 
been going through. Like, I, it's just completely ima- unimaginable. And I was just reading it like, this must be a parody. This is such a joke. This mm. is such a joke. Like, how can someone, like, how can you regard someone who can barely speak with such utter disdain? Like, you must not view them as human. Like, you, how can you, how can you behave in that manner? other than being, you know, dehumanizing that person. And that can only be rooted in racism. And so I think you mentioned that there was a reply being like, how do you know this is racist? Yeah, right? yeah. So someone someone replied saying something like, this is terrible, but I'm not sure uh, racism's got anything to do with it. Right, and I was like, mate, I, I don't know. But that, thankfully, having seen, you know, the lot of, I mean, that was a predictable response. That was always going to happen. Or someone's going to try and explain it for something else. You just know it. You can almost predict the argument. So when I saw that, um, I think before it would have wound me up big time, but now having seen that kind of argument again and again and again, you kind of now understand like this is a very common uh, reply and very much based on their own um, inexperience of prejudice, right? And then, you know, I had a look at the uh, clearly, you know, obviously I click on the person, click on the profile, and they just fit the demographic of someone who's probably not going to have issues if they ever were found nonverbal because they're not going to get deported anywhere because of their complexion you see and so when when you're not going to be remotely in that situation at any point or never even experienced that at any level then um you're never going to see racism as a thing it's not gonna it's not a part of your life it's never but you've never been there right uh um, and i guess that's um uh, for me anyway i think twitter's done that for me where this kind of these kind of things keep coming up and you kind of you get used to it you kind of you get better at dealing with it. it doesn't hit me as hard as it used to it's like oh yeah here we go I know that, that one. I know the argument. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that there, there is kind of like your own mental health to think of. But then the thing is, is mm. that there, there is, it's just, it's out there. It's happening now. So mm. like, I think you're allowed to feel angry at it. Um, the thing is, is that um, what can you do about these people? Like when you get the people who literally are like, oh, I can't see it. I think I did see, well, speaking of like the, tw- the comforts you can get of Twitter, I do remember mm. someone saying along the lines of, you don't need to get all these people on site. You don't need to. Mm. Like mm. you need to, you need to recognize it's wrong. You need to call out what's wrong. But those idiots who are like, "Oh, don't see it," like you don't need them mm. on this journey. Like, um, mm. you know, they're the dinosaurs, and you can be the asteroid. Like, you, you don't necessarily need to have to get them around to it. And I think I saw some comfort in that because those mm. people, like, sometimes, uh, sometimes I reply to these people saying, like, they will, t- they've told on themselves with that kind of response you know exactly what mm. you're getting with that person and you know that they're just they should just be disregarded they're just you know yeah yeah no... exactly but then it's like you you've seen this you've been there before yeah. you know yeah. you know exactly kind of in straight away like you can almost tell what kind of life they've had if they're going to say something like that and think okay mm. fine we've been there before yeah. I, i've been here before it's okay we don't need yeah. to talk anymore you know like i think um I, I think i did a tweet do you remember that tweet i did a few weeks ago I don't, uh, and it was about like homework because, and, and all I was, oh, yeah. was like, I felt a bit sad. I, I felt a bit sad for my kids that were studying uh, after, and it was a sunny day. And I thought, well, what was the point of this? Like, it's just such a waste of time. So I tweeted, and I think there was all these people who came out of these arguments about why you should have homework. Why is it a good thing? And, um, and I think um, someone decided to get a bit of a bicker between each other, and they finally wrote something like, um, you know what? I can't explain this to you, and left it at that. And I thought that was a really good reply. They said, I think they said, can you explain this to me? And then they said, no, I can't, not to you. And it was like, cool, man. Like you've just yeah. ended that conversation because clearly you're never going to win the argument. There's no point. Um, they feel the way they feel and that's it. Um, but it kind of, uh, you know, we're talking about sort of um, 
I mean, maybe I've become more of a bystander. With I mean, clearly, my I, I don't I don't really get too involved these days through to like yeah, man. You, uh, I do rate your. You've been doing subtweets like crazy, like subtweet <laughs> memes. I've noticed that. I'm like, what is he talking about today? And, and I, I messaged her. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> but that kind of brings us to another tweet, isn't it? By uh, Natalie uh, Martinek, PhD. So we've got a few PhDs today. Mm. Uh, why bystanders bystand in a toxic workplace? Well, workplace bystanders and bullies and un, and un, un an unpopular opinion. And so there is this article here that you want to talk about, isn't it? Why bystanders uh, shouldn't throw themselves under the bus. Is there a merit to this, do you think? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that um, I think the reason why that tweet kind of generates conversation is because there are people who are saying, for example, if you're a person of colour and you observe racism in an area towards another colleague and then perhaps don't say anything, people understandably, even though the situation is uh, whereby you've received uh, racism from a particular person, there is that kind of feeling of an um, upset and disappointment with someone who you think of as a kindred spirit. And I mm. think the, they raise some interesting points in this um, in, in this article, which I definitely recommend a reading. So mm. it is by that, that person who tweeted. So Nat- Natalie is with a H, uh, Martina PhD. Mm. And she said, five takeaway messages about workplace bullies and bystanders to ponder. So one, it's unhelpful to pressure people into doing the right thing according to Mm. your rules of conduct. When you're unaware of their personal circumstances in their own workplace context that can cause harm, context matters always. Number two, place responsibility on the system and its leaders for perpetuating conditions that cause moral injury. And three, there are strategic ways of dealing with bullies to avoid becoming recruited as their ally. They'll participate Mm. in a smear campaign against their target and avoid becoming their next target. And so, I mean, there there are more. There's um, it's a useful it's a useful article. But I think it kind of it does give you that kind of other side to how difficult it can be in those situations. And they're just some people just trying to make their own way. And it's not mm. pure malice and cowardice, you know, uh, mm. which I guess yeah. is. I mean, the, these situations are always more complicated um, mm. than meets the eye because it's not always just a case of like, I've seen something wrong, I've got to do something about it right now because that's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I, I think um, there, there's a, I, I was reading a book, I can't remember, maybe it was Psychology of Money again or something, but it, it was, um, I was talking about, do you remember that story about the Emperor's New Clothes? Do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, for me, I just thought Emperor's New Clothes is a funny story from when I was a kid. But when they talked about it in the book, they kind of gave a different context to the entire situation with the Emperor's New Clothes. And that this person was an emperor, thought they were super, super important. And then they got scammed to give these clothes that weren't really clothes. And they're walking around the town showing off their new clothes. And no one said anything. No one said anything. And they were, you know, thinking, oh, that looks wonderful. You look amazing. Until they met like a little child. And the little yeah, child yeah. has got no preconceptions of who this person is, how important they are you know, that they're the king of the kings or whatever. And they said, you're not wearing any clothes, though. And then that's when it hit the person. Oh, my God, I'm not wearing any clothes. And then they, they got embarrassed. Hmm. And so um, the reason I bring it up is because um, the context of the people that went with the person that was not wearing any clothes and said how amazing the clothes are is because that they know how powerful that person is. They've got an entire hmm. society around them, et cetera, et cetera, until you meet the person that's not un- unaffected by any of those things. And um, and that's what I always think about, like, um, when you do have bullies or, you know, you know someone that's a bully. And I mentioned this, and obviously there's only so much I can say, but allegedly this may have happened where someone may have been a bully for a very long time and all it took was one thing to crumble, one little thing, and the whole thing fell apart. And it turned out to be some some locum who'd never worked with this person before, didn't know who they were, got, you know, a bit surprised that someone was being rude to them as that, and then said, well, I'm not taking that. 
and then just uh, took them to town. And then when that happened, everyone came out of their knives, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, figuratively speaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just saying. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing what the social context can ha- can um, push people to accept uh, yeah. in situations like this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've gone quite kind of dark and serious. I thought perhaps oh, we could sorry. bring up... No, 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 no. <laughs> it was good. It was interesting, though. Um, there, there was a tweet from Mehul uh, where he said, mm. what's the most ridiculous thing you've managed to convince someone of at work? I once spent 10 minutes trying to arrange a creatinine infusion for my SHO. He told me that that was a treatment for low creatinine. Do you have any like that? <laughs> uh, well, someone I convinced something, uh, some someone of something that doesn't exist. Oh, you know, or maybe someone convinced you of something. You know, either way. Uh, you know what? Like, I think when I was younger, I had a bit of a bit of a slightly um, maybe I was a little bit shorter than I should have been, and I had this one uh, F one, and I was only an F two, but this person was driving me insane because uh, I'd worked with this person before, and I just found that they um, consistently, uh, on paper, they they were going to be phenomenal. But in right. reality, they they just weren't. <laughs> and then we're we're on call together. And there's one that you know when like you're going into on call and you know this person's gonna be on call, you think, oh, oh no, yeah, yeah. So I was getting bleep left, right, and centre by this person for every little thing under the sun, and to the point that I think they per- the, this person may have allegedly given naloxone to someone. And I was like, why did you give naloxone? Because oh, they were just feeling it had a funny turn after having some pain relief. And I said, yeah, but like you just don't give that for no reason. And she goes, yeah, but that's the antidote. <laughs> it's not like a vial of potion like you don't do you know there has to be some signs and symptoms as to why you'd give someone naloxone right and so um in the middle of the night i think it must have been two o'clock in the morning they call me up and they were like hey man um this person's protein's really low i think we should do something about it <laughs> i was like listen it's like two o'clock in the morning what do you want me to do about their protein <laughs> like, what, what is it that you want he goes i think we should do something about it. this is low and i was like you know, a few hours from now, is the patient going to be alive or not? And we can mention it to the day team or something, but we don't need to do anything. Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah, but isn't there something we could do? And I was like, what? Like mince a steak and put it into the <laughs> IV and just jam it in there to put it. And uh, they were like, okay, well, you don't have to be like that. And I was like, I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm running around. Why are you keep bleeping about stuff like this, man? Like, you know, chill out. Like, um, just deal with the things that need to be dealt with and this kind of stuff, just write on the notes. And um, I, you've got to be confident the team are going to know what they're doing in a few hours time with this. And it's probably been going on for quite a while. So that's the only time when I, I feel like I might have said something a bit silly and um, I regret well, I, it. I, I do. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, you on. didn't convince her. She, she didn't go and do that though, did she? She didn't go and. Mince I don't, I mean, I, this is the point that I wouldn't be surprised if they tried. Oh, fair enough. I, I thought you were going to be like, this is, yeah. Go like give us some fres- give the patient some fresibins or whatever, and just hope <laughs> protein's going to. Or just make up some uh, some sort of. Oh yeah, you just need to get a protein shake from my cupboard and uh, yeah. just give it to them uh, in multiple doses over the next next few hours, and the album will go flying up. Yeah, I could have, but that's the thing. They would have believed anything like that. They would have because they were just so sort of um, superficial in their understanding of what to do, which is incredibly surprising given their uh, qualifications. Anyway, oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I anyone's mean, ever, yeah. ever fooled me, but I can't. You know, I'm just you know, obviously too. I'm too wily. Uh, I literally, <laughs> I did have smart. a story. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm too smart. No, mm. I've forgotten. But um, oh, I did have one where like I was in SHO on a wardrobe uh, with my F1, who my F1, the F1, um, and it was just jokes. Like he was, he was a mate, and so it was just it made uh, wardrobe so much more fun that you're just going around to the mate. But mm. he had. 
he he would write in the notes and I'd be saying stuff and whatever. And he'd take ages to write, write. And so a point there, sometimes I'd be like, oh, mate, let me just write for myself. And, but anyway, he's like, no, 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 like, what else am I going to do? And I'm like, anyway, so once he'd, he was just taking an age to, like, write stuff in the notes. And I had one of those, you know, the Evian water bottles that have, like, a red cap. And I just decided, mm. I thought it'd be quite funny if, like, so I let it, um, I put it on a radiator. And then um, towards the end of the wardrobe, I got it. And it was like, a t- it, was, it wasn't really, really warm, but it was, I think it was probably just lukewarm. And I thought it'd be funny if I kind of just kind of squared into his pocket so they might think he's pissed himself. And Aww. so, yeah, literally. And so he's writing <laughs> and I squirted some into his pocket. And then he looked down and, yeah, you know, I got a laugh. And then he was like, my iPhone's in my pocket. <laughs> he thought that was iPhone. Oh, no. And literally it was like, it was going like white, black, white, black, white, black, like on oh, nothing. I was like, you know, when you go from that euphoria of like, oh, I thought he pissed himself. So I'm pissing myself now because I've like ruined <laughs> <laughs> your iPhone. Oh, man. Oh, wow. That's you know a- what? You've taken that little little thing from school. We used to do that in chemistry classes. Like yes, the water bottles. That was it. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> we used to have those distilled yeah. water bottles with a little thing. Yeah, it was a boy's school yeah, thing. So, yeah, that's right. We had distilled water bottles. had this little snout. And then what you could do, you could creep up behind someone and put it into the pocket and squeeze <laughs> yes, it. exactly the same. <laughs> Basically, what you're yeah. saying is, even though it was like 20 years like after boy school, I was still doing that same shit. Still yeah, you're still shit. doing it. You, yeah, you, you, you must have just drawn a knob on his notes and then <laughs> in it. And that's, that's as Wait, far I as you st- went there. I still do that from time to time. On a, on a jobs list, I like to draw a knob on a jobs list from time to time. But like, you know what? <laughs> I was thinking about you the other day and I was just thinking about one memory. And I mean, I don't oh, know no. why I'm mentioning on the podcast, but it wasn't, I, were you there with like Vinny, he had he had like a test yeah. tube, tube of sulfuric acid, and he's holding yes, his goggles, yeah, and he put there. the goggles on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So that that's exactly what happens. So basically, he had um, he had his goggles which are around his neck, and he had a a, a test tube uh, full of sulfuric acid. And then I think someone said, "Mate, you should get your goggles on. You've got sulfuric acid in your hand." And he's, "Oh yeah, good point." So then he got both hands, not realizing he's still holding on to the test tube, and then put his put his goggles on, and then put his hand back down, and the test tube was empty. And I thought, "That's weird." And then what actually happened? Because when he put his hand up, it actually pulled over his back and started burning his back. And then he started screaming, and then he fell on the floor. And then the doctor, I mean, then the the um, the teacher ran up and they had to rip off his shirt. And again, we all got distilled uh, water bottles, started spraying his back, <laughs> trying to dilute it, you know, dilute the pollution. Um, it was absolutely incredible. But you know what was funny is because me, him, and this other guy used to play pranks with each other all the time, and it's kind of well known that we'd all be playing pranks on each other. So I got sent out of the room straight away that day. Oh, so I thought it was you. No question. Yeah, get out right now. And I was like, what for? I'm just standing here, get out. So I had to stand outside. And then they, then you know, the the teacher came in and had a bit of a go at me, like, you know, that's really dangerous. I, I know you guys have a little bit of a prank and stuff, but, they, you know, putting sulfuric acid on someone's back. And I'm looking at the guy like, what do I say? Like, I don't, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I, I mean, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want you to get in trouble. And then eventually he was like, um, I, I did it to myself. And, we, and everyone looked at me with what? And then it kind of came out what happened and I had nothing to do with this. And they just, that flew around the school like wildfire, didn't it? Like everyone knew this guy burned his back. Because, I mean, I remember like Dr. Lexton like took him out into the, I mean, he was, they took him out of the classroom, right? So there are people walking by and you could just see us all just like pouring distilled water at him. He was washed, I don't know, it was so weird. (laughs) Cleansed of the chemistry. (laughs) Oh, how terrible. God. Anyway, yeah, that was uh, that was that was really funny. Oh, good old school, good old public school, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, didn't that come up last week? I think someone tweeted at you about something that you'd said on uh, on the podcast about um, apparently 
um yeah, yeah. was it feeling bad no you know being apologetic yeah, about the I, background I, I, um, that we've come yeah yeah i talked about a tweet from julia where she'd said that you know she's talking about private schools and how it's not hypocritical to talk about the disadvantages or the unfairness of private schools having been to one and someone said mm. fair enough which is true i think mm. it's fair enough and they're just agreeing mm. with us so that's good that's good we can stand down mm. we can stand down there yeah with we us. can stand down okay. there yeah we're don't cool. don't need to be cool. uh, yeah angry emoji angry emoji <laughs> <laughs> so um there was like one tweet which was kind of well um really interesting and kind mm. of is inspirational so it's from deborah lee her mm. uh, Twitter handle is like Deborah Bunch of Numbers, which does make me kind of a bit afraid, but it's not got a dog picture. So <laughs> then you're like, oh, okay, maybe it'll mm. be fine. And it was fine. So Deborah Lee, mm. she tweeted at 9.32am on the 28th of April, and she said, on Friday, I had a bit of a turn where I became lopsided and unable to speak. Having heard me lamenting ambulance delays, my husband bundled me into his um, car and drove me to A&E. I was taken into recess, and 35 minutes later, I was in a CT scanner. Oh, thanks, Imran. 30 minutes later, a bolus of TPA was on board and I was winging my way to Oxford for a thumbectomy. From start to finish, the NHS mm. served me with pace, expertise and kindness. Today, I'm sat in a cafe being travelled by bus, reflecting on events. Naturally, I am eternally grateful to my husband for his swift, swift actions, to all the NHS staff that I came across, to those who invented clot-busting drugs. I can't get one thing out of my head. What if my husband hadn't put me in there and my daughter had called for an ambulance and I'd been put in the Category 2 stack? They're no fault of my own. The Southwest has the worst ambulances handover delays of any region. My system is working unrelentingly to solve this, but to no great avail. And we know this. People are waiting ages for ambulances, and it could have been a very, very different story. So it's kind of amazing in one, like when things kind mm. of like uh, come together. But unfortunately, there's mm. just so much inequity that you just can't guarantee that same process for many, many other people. But you know, this, is, this highlights something that I've always thought about as the inside knowledge, you know, of... Of everything so like for example um i know that it, if if there's someone i know that's gonna it looks like they're gonna have a they're having a stroke then i would try and take them to queen square because i know or you know I, i'll turn up somewhere where i know there's a stroke service i wouldn't just turn up to like the local dgh or something i'd go to somewhere that i know they've got an interventional uh neuroradiology that works there or something like that you know yeah. where they've, i know that or let's say pediatrics um mm. i would go to the place that i know has got a proper pediatric service not just a dgh level pediatric service but that knowledge comes from being within the system and knowing how the system works because you know you turn up to you know you turn up somewhere like Bazardon, it's not a specialist center so we have to transfer people out to other places so i'd cut that out and just go straight to the place that they would be transferring to in the first place if that makes mm. any sense yeah and so there is a bit of inside knowledge here like the knowledge that um Ambulance takes such a long time to get there. There's potential delays that can affect what sounds like quite a, a serious well, turn of events, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's exactly what you say, that sort of um, inequality in terms of what's available to people and the knowledge that's unavailable to people when it comes to, you know, knowing where they should go for certain certain things, right? Yeah. I, I mean, don't know what the answer is to that. Yeah. It's true. I mean, it's probably more money and stuff, isn't it? I guess more, more paramedics. Um expansion to strict services mechanical thumbectomy i mean that's something that's yeah, the cardiologist to do it isn't it yeah yeah get the, well, get the cardiologist to do it yeah, mate, yeah the will is there the will is there i was at that conference recently and it, there seemed to be like a oh, great yeah. appetite for it it's just uh we just mm. don't have the infrastructure yet mm. so i reckon it'll be a matter of time we're ready uh, to it's step be a matter of time yeah yeah i mean you know it's gonna be controversial for me to say being a radiologist but um what i often find in a lot of things is that people complain that 
there's nothing being done. There's not like, for example, let's say for us, there's lots of lots of X-rays to get done. There's loads of X-rays to report. There's just not enough radiologists for X-rays. Mm. So then someone will say, well, why don't we get the radiographers to help? I mean, there's a whole load of radiographers that want to help get reporting. Let's do that. And they're like, no, is that right? <laughs> well, there's a solution to the yeah. problem, and we don't want to take that solution. But you want to keep complaining about the problem, but then you don't want to do the work yourself. So we're kind of stuck now, aren't we? Yeah. Where do we go? What do you want to do? People are suffering now. Um, and that's what I think about this kind of thing uh, with interventional neuroradiology. Like, I'm not saying uh, anyone could do what they do, but there must be some level that, that someone who's a non-interventional neuroradiologist can do to get some of the way or most of the way, you know, to help yeah. someone. And surely that's worth it because you just don't have the numbers. There's just not enough interventional neuroradiologists. Like, why would anyone do it? Personally, why would anyone want to do interventional neuroradiology when you go into radiology, hopefully try and have a slightly uh, easier existence, not... Um, you know, yeah. sticking coils up and all the rest of it. Yeah. Anyway, it goes against my complete ethos of past and least resistance and do as little as possible. Just no, it's, no, no. It's no, really no, interesting, no. though, isn't it? Yeah. How there's, well, I mean, there's a spectrum of radiologists, right? Like, and that's that's one of the beauties of radiology that that you can kind of like really. I mean, you, you've demonstrated that really well that you can kind of craft a, a kind or you can tailor the career, a career to what you kind of want it to be. And even within cardiology, there is that kind of subspecialty wise, right? So if you wanted more of a nine to five then you'd probably choose to do more imaging or like um mm. because because you know the, there will be fewer on calls in that way but um we obviously we know uh interventional mm. interventional radiologist is really really passionate about it isn't he and so mm. um and my brother he's interested in radiology when i talk to him about it although i suspect he may change as time goes on um mm. but you know he talks about the interventional side of things so i mean Everyone isn't one does, of the yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah. what happens when you get trainees? They all say they want to do intervention. Yeah, a lot of them do. Loads do. It's like going to med school and become, wanting to be a surgeon. Yeah, Everyone does. And yeah. then you kind of go along and you think, actually, you know what? Yeah. But I think, I, I like, even if you chose a really busy thing to do, let's say, like, for you, interventional cardiology is busy, right? Mm. It, then it really depends on what life do you really want. So either you can go work in a very busy centre yeah, or just go work at a non-busy centre. It's your life you know and it depends on what how what you want to do and how you want to do it there's nothing stopping you the only thing i would suggest is that um uh you know the person who's doing the interventional what procedures in the biggest hospital in the biggest busiest place is probably going to get going to get paid the same amount as the person's doing in the most dead end place in in the country and is probably leaving at five and having a wonderful life because medicine's not the situation where certain places will pay you more so you in that, so in that situation you really do do what you do if you enjoy it it's got nothing to do with monetary value in that situation if you want to be busy go be busy yeah. there's nothing stopping you. if you don't want to be busy go find someone that's not busy it's easy as that i think anyway maybe i've simplified it but that's the way it's been for me yeah, uh, personally enough. and that you make very conscious choices to not go for certain places if i heard that's gonna be a busy place to work and i'm like i yeah. don't do busy but then, i, I mean that leads, us, that leads <laughs> us on to like another tweet though which is from hassan mm. And his, his mm. handle's at MHA underscore 92 underscore. And you linked this. My sister has mm. made more money from henna this weekend than I would have locoming. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this is I always get confused as to people's arguments uh, when it comes to money. Like, I really don't understand because you're going to, as soon as someone tweets about money, it'll be PA pay or nurses pay versus doctors pay. You get a whole load of people who say, I'm not here for the money. I've got no, you know, that you're not, it's a vocation. And I almost feel like, if I could somehow get all of you guys and put you in your own little hospital so you guys could work together for yeah, free, that'd be great. Be yeah, I'd love it. Then you guys can do what you got to do and the rest of us can try and figure out the mess that we're dealing with here. 
which mm. is what we feel is not we're not getting remunerated. Now, when someone's getting paid more money for doing, let's say they are allegedly making more money from doing henna over you being a doctor. I mean, that's just unfortunately that's the way society runs. Like, um, you could be the most skilled curling champion, you know, um, from that Olympic thing. Uh, incredibly skilled thing but you're not going to get paid as one of the most skilled snooker players you know like there's just certain certain things will pay you more and it's not entirely related to skill and being a pro or not being a pro you know what i mean like they're just if someone's going to pay for henna they're going to pay for henna and if someone doesn't want to pay for a doctor they don't pay for a doctor that's the running rate unfortunately and i feel like we put ourselves in that position when you've got people that will say make you feel bad for for wanting to have uh inflated uh, inflation equivalent pay rise I mean, that's not much to ask for. I, I don't think so. And I think we should get more than that. Uh, and I think that we should get paid a lot more than what we get paid right now. But there'll be people who'll be who'll argue with me about this. All right, fair enough then. You go do your own job somewhere else where you guys are happy with each other and don't do things for money. But someone's got pills to pay. Um, yeah. And that, there was a tweet, something like that, wasn't there? Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah gone. Where just was that? Yeah. I've, just, I've just taken a little double take that someone who'd blocked me before has unblocked me. I'm like, whoa, what's happened? Wow, anyway, you become friends again. I've become yeah. friends again. Yeah, who knew? So, anyway, uh, this is a tweet from, um, so it's, I think it's Ying Yi. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced your name, so I'll spell it just in case. So it's hmm. J I N G and then Y I. And the handle's at J I N G G Y Y I. And it says, damning if true, please don't expect many of us to take it sitting down. And it was about, and they're kind of uh, quote tweeting a Reddit thread, which is from a throwaway account. Oh my gosh, this is a convoluted link. Sorry. Basically, <laughs> there, there were um, a certain president of a particular royal college gave a talk and they pejoratively uh, asked if there are any inverted commas, BMA activist type people present. And then said something mm. along the lines of everything going uh it's not the right time in inverted commas to ask for pay restoration and that they don't expect any major pay rise for doctors. And they said something like doctors of this specialty tend to be very altruistic slash humanistic. And so I'm pleased to see in that thread, Rohan and I have come in with the cardiologist saying that can't be us because we'd never call ourselves hum humanistic or altruistic. <laughs> That's definitely can't be talking about us. So we've ruled ourselves out. Who do, which role college do you think it is that's the most humanistic and altruistic? I don't know, man. Some people I, have said I, I can't think of peds. On. People say peds, and some people say palliative, and some people say oncology. Jerry's, mm. I guess. I think of them as generally yeah, quite yeah, nice. Yeah, fair enough. I reckon fair if I was going to put yeah. my money, I'd say it's oncology. Money, <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, and that's only because I'm thinking of Carl Sakura, but. But the, th but the thing is, like, I mean, look, we, let's not confuse things there. Like, I mean, nice. Uh, I mean, I, I don't you can you can ask for money and be nice and you can ask for money and be a good doctor. I, I, I don't think the two mm. are related. I just think that, you know, you're worth what you're worth. I mean, that's what that's what it is. And you're only worth what someone's willing to pay you. Yeah. And these kind of things, when someone comes out with these sort of like arguments about altruism and all the rest of it, it's like and, and right now is not the right time. So when is the right time? Well, when is it? Like, when is the right time for us to get a pay, pay rise? And when the pay rise <gasps> finally comes, is it going to be enough? Gone. I'll find out who it is. It's the, so it's the Royal College of Emergency Medicine. Emergency Medicine? They, what, they call themselves humanistic? All right, fair enough. Emergency mm, Medicine? Interesting. Hmm. I wonder what Farboard thinks. Allegedly, allegedly. Oh, allegedly, allegedly. Oh God, they got you here. Yeah, we're going to get cancelled, mate. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where to begin. You know, like so it, it's the same, same old thing. When, like, um, for example, someone will there'll be an article in the Sun about like some doctor who uh, charged loads for private fee, private work, and they've got a wonderful lavish lifestyle. 
but in the same same newspaper they'll have oh can you believe what david beckham bought his son on uh, his son's wedding day but then no one's got a problem with david beckham getting paid and no one's got a problem with him being a bit um fanboying with his money but then when a doctor does those things, makes money and be, I don't know, allegedly flamboyant, people say, oh, that's just terrible. It's a bad thing. It just makes us look bad. It's like, no, it doesn't make us look bad. It's got nothing to do with anything. They could be a really good doctor for all you know. They could be really good at their job. They just work in different environment and they're after different things. You know, they. I, I just, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just find that kind of stuff really frustrating. And I don't think when you've got so many people who keep going on about a separate argument that's got nothing to do with it, you know, which is, you know, what, but what about being altruistic and all those things? Yeah, I think you can do both. I really do. I mean, just because let's say I get paid a lot doesn't mean that I'm a bad radiologist. I might be a radiologist that gets paid a lot and does a good job. What's wrong with that? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, mate? It's, um, these kind of things, I just feel like we, we haven't done ourselves any favor when we get into these sort of circular arguments. I think that this whole, you're, you're right there. Like, I think there's certain people who are in a comfortable, it's like the homework thing. Everyone who's kind of replying saying about how amazing homework is, they don't do homework anymore. And I think in the same mm. way that people are saying, oh, we don't need pay, like, pay to go up, they're probably, it's not a problem for them anymore. That's great. Mm. Like, oh, brilliant. You're comfortable. You know, big whoosh. Just remove yourself from the conversation. It's not... It's not mm. And if you get offered that pay rise and you don't want to take it, by all means, there'll be other plenty, plenty of... Give it to charity. Do whatever. But, you know, mm. you don't need to kind of... Like, everyone else doesn't have to go down with you just because you want to be some kind of martyr. Well, I mean, have you noticed that I haven't really seen much in the way of um, much shouting and arguments from about consultant pay? It doesn't really come up all that much. But why is that? Why, yeah. why do consultants not make too much of a fuss about what they're getting paid? Yeah. It's because they're probably up to something else. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. I, I, that's what I think. I think they're up to something else, most of them. I mean, I, I think that either that there's one or two things they're getting from the NHS. Either it's going to be enough to kind of get most things sorted so as a kind of a base income, or yeah. they're getting time back. So they've got a very, very flexible job that will get them what they want to get and be able to do whatever they want to do. But they're doing other things in other places. They're getting advantages somewhere else. But you don't see them. I don't see many, um, you know, consultant strikes and consultant, you know, arguments like this. It's all, it all happens from prior to that because um, at that point, until you've been able to carve earnings out somewhere else, the income that you get from the NHS is all you've got. So it matters. It does matter. And, um, and most of the time, I think that um, very senior people, like you said, they're not in, they're not in that situation anymore. And they're the ones that be like, well, you don't need to pay rise. It's not the right time for a pay rise. Like, yeah, when you talk about when it affects you, if it doesn't affect you, then stay out of the argument. It's got nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? I think you're completely right saying what you said there. Completely right. Um, yeah. Anyway, a slight slight tangent uh, on um, one of my favorite subjects, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> Money. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, speaking uh, of which, probably land me in trouble. Yeah. No, no, no. I think I think you're very reasonable there. But we should we should mention. So we had some messages about the NHS bursary, the Liverpool NHS mm. bursary, and so we've seen the kind of the situation where a couple of um, our medical student colleagues are struggling to kind of fund their training. Um, mm. so, oh yeah, yeah. They wanted us to talk about it, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. So there's um so some accounts to follow. So at mjv underscore one. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, Michaela, sh- um, she's a final year medical student, and unfortunately she doesn't mm. have enough money to pay her rent. And um, the NHS bursary. I mean, she comes from a low income ha- income, low household income, and just uh, struggling to pay the rent and stuff. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're, you've got these promising medical students and they're um in for the long haul and just uh i mean this kind of situation is only going to make us lose um talent 
because we're not yeah it, i mean this thing isn't it? it it depends on what as a society we think is important and what we care about isn't it and i think um uh yeah unfortunately yeah getting people to care about this kind of stuff is difficult because they already think that you being in i think there's certain connotations of being a medical student that exists like first of all they think the general public i feel think that medical students are super clever which they may be but they don't have to be um you've got to be really hard working you work all days all hours of the day and you probably come from quite affluent affluent background or you're you're clever enough to be able to get there so you must be all right you know uh and i think that is a real shame that the the vast um gamut of people that come into medicine is not not appreciated and I, I don't know how that can be changed right mm. i was just making awareness of this kind of thing this kind of situation where someone is struggling to get through uh will hopefully make a difference you know because some people really do need do need help to to get through isn't it yeah so um, an, just yeah. to mention there's another yeah. account to follow so at the grad medic and that's um ailey garrett's um mm. ailey Garrett, sorry if I was your name wrongly. I'm sure it's Eilie. <laughs> You're going to get uh, called out, mate. You're going to uh, get called out, yeah. Eilie. Yeah, please correct me. Uh, but um, yeah. Eilie Garrett. So she's the other, she's the founder of this kind of hashtag Liverpool and Liverpool mm. NHS bursary. So a worthy cause. Um, uh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I think we're kind of coming up to time, but I, I think there's one tweet I thought would be quite good, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, and then we're going to go to the big tweet. And actually, I don't know if you noticed, but we've been messaged on our Twitter account, uh, a specific question that I thought maybe we could, ah. we could finish with. Okay. So let's go through this one first. So um, Heichi, it's, it's Heichi, which is H-A-Y-C-H-E, tweeted, thinking about my old school uh, classmate who during third year memorialized her first patient who passed away two weeks into the rotation by getting a tattoo of his MRN on her inner forearm. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. Uh, I t there's so much wrong with that, isn't there? And the reason I mentioned that is because of the other situation, Thrusha, the big one of the week. Do you remember? Um, there was a certain American uh, doctor who may have taken their 11-year-old son or daughter to a what cadaver lab yeah. and uh, subsequently do procedures on this cadaver, take photos of it, put it onto Twitter and tell everyone it was the best day of their life. Um, that they were able to share a certain experience with their child. Um, and the reason I think it relates to this tattoo of a dead patient is that when something like this happens, you kind of realize that um, this has got nothing to do with the patients and patient care is all about you and your own ego, in my humble opinion, uh, when something like that happens. Um, yeah, what do you think? Well, how did you feel about that when those photos popped up? And I mean, they got tanked in there on a lot of levels um, and thankfully they deleted it. But unfortunately, the event did happen, and there's no there's no taking back of the event. It's not a, a tweet that you can take back. It happened. No. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you kind of like wonder that there's several different kind of um, barriers that should have really stopped them, stopped it from happening. The whole sequence of events. It's peculiar, isn't mm. it? Like one, you'd think morally, like this must surely this. How did this at no point strike you as a weird thing to do with your 11 year old kid? Um, mm. But then, secondly being allowed to even get into that area with a, with a child. And then thirdly, being able to take photos of yourself doing it. Because I remember for a dissection, wasn't it like a punishable? I remember someone saying that like, you could get chucked out. Dude, school. you get kicked out. You yeah, get yeah. kicked out. If you, yeah, you get kicked out. You get caught with your phone on yeah. you. In fact, I remember mm. there was a person at the beginning who, I don't think they searched us, but they pretty much said you had to put our, we had to put our phones into our box. Mm. Um, mm. And that's even 
it's just um but it's sad that it got past checkpoint one which is just on that human level like someone's donated their body and mm. um, when you think about how difficult it was historically for medical students to get access to bodies i think they used to use kind of like prisoners and people who are executed and mm. it was very very difficult and when people now donate their bodies it's kind of with this kind of goodwill isn't it because they kind of think mm. well they're furthering science and the medical profession and although it might seem like a sweet idea like you're trying to encourage your kid to do medicine that's you know why does it have to be with a real body like it just seems it just seems like such a like weird idea um, but you know when we were doing this in med school do you remember like we uh, we had this thing called pds which is professional development spine yeah. and there was we had long conversations about what you know, it would be to be dissecting a body, uh, the moral implications oh, yeah. of it, you know, and all this kind of, there was a lot of stuff that happened pre going in there and doing that. Right. Because at the end of the day, like at first I was a bit macho. I thought this is not going to affect me all that much. I don't really, you know, it's all, it's all good. But then when you kind of, um, get in there, it does hit you. Like these are people, these were people with their own lives mm. and now they're here and they're being sliced up and for, for the greater good. And so, yeah, I, I, you only have the utmost respect for them, really. That's what I felt. And um, there were points during dissection, maybe there's kind of a precursor, like where I was going to go, like I was clearly not cut out for this, cut out for this. Yeah. Um, but um, like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't like cutting bodies. I didn't, it didn't It didn't interest me at all. I thought it was a bit, I just felt a bit nasty after a while. I didn't enjoy it. And it's like messing with my mind a bit. Like, uh, you know, you start to, I don't know, like, when you start thinking about like who they were and how they ended up being here. And then how's an 11 year old going to have the capacity to deal with that? Mm. You know? Yeah. I just don't think that's a healthy thing to do personally, mm. you know, and in a world where we're worried about what books they read, whether they should be reading Harry Potter or not. And, you know, these kind of things. And what about chopping a body, mm. a human body? I mean, surely there should be something there that'd be like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah. I, I, I could tell you right now though, if I told Lil's like, do you want to come with me? Like, I wouldn't even be able to finish the sentence. Like, do you want to come into a dissection? Do you want to come? She'd be like, no. Like, is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. So I don't know how this person got their, got their kid to go with them. But it did make me think, I read this really good book recently called Written in Bone. And it's by C- mm. uh, Professor Dame Sue Black. She's like a, a forensic pathologist. So interesting. Mm. And she just okay. talks about how much you can tell from a person's life from their body. She basically, you know, with work in close conjunction with the police, identifying bodies, trying to understand how they died. Um, it's amazing, mm. really. And she talks about mm. how at the end she goes, I'd like my, do- my body to be dissected. Not by medical students, though, because and I think because she thinks that understandably, when we did dissection, I think it was quite early on in our careers. And I don't think I really, mm. as you say, like, I don't think I really fully appreciated it. And I think in mm. some ways our dissection is almost beyond the anatomy. It's beyond understanding anatomy. I think that's what they tell us, like that's what we're supposed to be doing. But in some ways it mm. is kind of like a rite of passage. Like, yeah, like definitely. the only people who are allowed to do this are doctors and murderers. Like those are the only people who are allowed to cut up other people's bodies, really, as in mm. when they're, mm. well, I guess when they're alive. But, well, murderers aren't allowed to, but they do. But anyway, they do, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so like, and I think in some ways it is, it is like a rite of passage to to have done that but it is like it's still mm. it's still an honor isn't it i guess if you had to put it in some way like it's an mm. honor that these people have kind of volunteered themselves and so when i saw it the word that came to mind was desecration because it just felt like mm. what the hell are you doing in that way like it, 
what the hell mm. are you doing? I'm glad they deleted it. Yeah, the I'm glad they deleted there? it. Um, and uh, I don't know, I don't know whether they get any sort of professional uh, repercussions of that. But I can't imagine that would go down well in the UK. Like I think you probably lose your job very quickly. I, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, that would go down at all. Um, but anyway, uh, I think there were there were a few other arguments are being flown around uh, about the entire thing. And um, I mean, there, there's lots of different ways, but we've very much concentrated on um, what, what it means to do dissection in the first place. Um, right. So uh, there was one, um, we got a, per, a personal DM uh, to yes. our Twitter account. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Thrusha. No. Um, someone called Late to Med. And um, basically, they're saying, uh, I'll read it. So, hello, hope you're both well. I'm an avid follower of the podcast. Thank you very much. And thought I'd ask for some advice. I recently received an offer for medicine. It's been something I've always wanted to do, but I'm having doubts if it will be worth the sacrifices. I'm currently working as a cardiac physiologist. That's kind of your area. Specializing in devices. Oh, okay. But learning echo as well. I would have to essentially give this up for medicine. I guess I'm asking, what are the good bits of doing medicine? And if you guys would do it again, if you had a chance, um, thanks in advance. So interesting, they said, what are the good bits and not didn't ask about the bad bits. So they yeah. said they probably made a decision. Yeah. Okay, Thrusha, you go for it. Well, I've got to say, I mean, having um, had the podcast with a re- an excellent cardiac scientist, Chris, um, it's very difficult um, to, to say what are the advantages of doing medicine over being a cardiac scientist because they're such impressive people. So I did... Mm. Um, you know, more far, like more far to for doing that. I think you'll be excellently placed as a, certainly as a cardiology registrar. Um, what are the good bits of doing medicine? I think there are, there are lots of good bits. Um, today was a really, really good day um, for me. Like uh, I had lab in the morning and I got to do some PCI uh, for patients who'd come in. So there are two patients who'd had acute coronary syndromes and they had two of them had lots and lots of symptoms and they, they were difficult. And I got to do the procedures myself and I got a lot of satisfaction. So I think there's a lot of opportunities within medicine to kind of directly impact on people's lives. And that's corny. It is corny, but it felt good. And mm. I had clinic, which was also quite good. I just seemed to have like quite a good run of like interesting patients who I was able to explain stuff to. And I think for me, like I like talking a lot. And I think um, you do. I do. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And I think medicine gives you a lot of like loads of opportunities to do that. And I think people will Mm. listen to you because you're a doctor. And that's that's a bit pathetic, but it's true. Um, Mm. And so for me, I think I derive a lot of satisfaction from being able to like explain stuff. But also I feel like I can make almost an instant instant impact on people's lives. Yeah. Does that answer the question? That's quite an interview question. Uh, Answer is good. No, it's good. Um, I think... For this person, uh, they're coming in from a different uh, point of view, a different point in life from where we were, right? Mm-hmm. We, we came in as young, uh, young A-level students and then made that decision that we we're going to do this and kind of ended up being what it is. And um, what I would always say is that it's, it's easier to say in retrospect, but it is important to identify like what it is that you want from the job. Like what is it that you really want from the job, right? So we've joked about it and I, I'm going to be honest, I think this is completely true because I think that, um, you know, my parents wanted me to be, to be a doctor, but it had very little to do with helping people. Even though I went to the mm. interview saying, I want to help people, et cetera, et cetera. It had nothing to do with any of that. They just wanted a doctor in the family. That's just what they wanted. Um, 
and I kind of bought into the idea, like as, as I was growing up, like I bought into that, oh yeah, I want to be a doctor. And then as you're trying, because my parents kind of wanted me to be, and I remember like uh, once or twice I told my parents, you know, I wouldn't mind being an actor. And they were like, well, no. <gasps> and they started having a go at me. Yeah. Or I said, I want to be a builder because it looked like fun and they had a massive go at me. But every time I said, I want to be a doctor, they're like, oh, my son wants to be a doctor. <laughs> so I, I kind of had that sort of, um, yeah. I was already being kind of, co- not co- yeah, it was just kind of like, yeah, that kind of, you realize that if I send me a doctor, my parents are going to be happy with me. Yeah. I'm going like, to keep going with that. Yeah. yeah and then um uh you know you kind of you you go for it and then when you go for the interviews you're like how am I going to get in and someone's like you start reading these books and they, they say you've got to say this you've got to say this and you go interview practice you've got to say this and you don't know how much of it you really believe really but then it's only kind of as you go through your career you start to realize or you think you know what's important to you and why you're doing it so I think um identify what is it you want and there's no re- there's nothing wrong with any of those reasons. So let's say you want to be the doctor in the family, or you want to have the status. You go for it, because regardless of what you are, why you're doing it, the outcome actually, in my opinion, is good. Like whatever you end up doing uh, in medicine, you're helping people. That's that's an that's an amazing thing. There's nothing you can take away from that. But if you're doing it for an ego and you want to be the biggest person in the room and you want people to listen, and I'm not, you know, you want people to know who you are, then at least you know your why. Yeah. You go for it. Yeah. Um, if you're doing because you want to help people, amazing. You go for it. If you think it's going to, if you want to have a lifestyle where you're not doing very much and you're getting paid a lot, it's possible. Go for it. If you want to have a really busy life and you're getting paid a lot for it, go for it. It's it's all there for yeah, the taking true. if that's what you want. But it's good to know that's what you want and why you're there. Because the last thing you want to do is um, spend decades doing all sorts of stuff, getting to the end and thinking to yourself, but where's my money? Where's my lifestyle? But that's not what you were chasing in the first place. Like, yeah. know what you want and go for it. Because medicine will give you everything that you want if you know it, if you know what it is. Because there will be something somewhere that will give you everything. I think, yeah, um, yeah, in my humble opinion. So, absolutely go for it. But just know what you're doing it for, and be honest with yourself when you ask that question. What yeah. is it that you want? I've yeah. got a flip side to that, which is that I know someone who's mm-hmm. gone the other way, who went from being a cardiology registrar to cardiac scientist. And they realized that they Amazing. what they enjoyed the most was the echo, doing echoes. And so that's what they mm. chose to do. And um, I think you can, you can still have them. You can, obviously, I'm sure they'll know this from seeing their colleagues and stuff. You can have an excellent mm. doing that. And the other thing is particularly having done that. And if you say you wanted to do cardiology, oh, my gosh, you'd be made. Because as a cardiac physiologist, you get your exams paid for and you could uh, do them. I mean, it'd be excellent preparation. So, like, you are, mm. if, if that's, you know, it, in terms of, what kind of advantages will be bestowed upon you compared to others? I mean, you'll be in an amazing position, but yeah, you're right, Imran. I think one of the great things about medicine is that you can kind of take what you want from it. Exactly. So I would say that um, choose the life that you want, not the job that you want, and then work your way backwards from that. That's what I think. That's the way that I should have done things. And um, I would encourage other people to do, like choose the life that you want and then work your way backwards and figure out how you're going to get there. Because if you've cool. got that, then you, you've got a good direction. Right. So I think that's it, isn't it? We've, yeah. Uh, well, there's, there's one tweet that I kind of want to end with, which is one from oh, yeah. Mark Le- uh, Lewis. So at Markle Wismid, MD. And it goes, mm-hmm. the professional will not be distracted. The amateur tweets, the pro works. I mean, that's <laughs> like the opposite of what we're doing, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But then my question is always, um, what is a professional? Yeah. I don't know. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah. It's like, um, it's like, I think I was talking to a friend of mine and I was saying, I think I asked him honest questions like, bro, do I do good reports or bad reports? And he goes, what's a good report? <laughs> so I don't have an answer to that question. Right. You know, like good. the job's done. And people know what they need to do. Fair enough, I might not talk about the, all the intricacies of everything under the sun, but 
it gets the job done. So yeah. that's a good report. Oh my god, it does the job. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Fair enough. So I was just thinking, there's so many other good threads that I wanted to include. Like, there's this really great thread for, from at Garius G A R I U S. That's John Ball, and he's talking about the history mm. of Tesco club cards. Can you please check that out? It's oh. just so funny. It's about basically using stu- <laughs> students as focus groups and how that went terribly for Tesco. Got to check that out. That was yeah. on the 29th yeah. of April, two nineteen. Sorry, sorry. Shall I link these? Shall I link these? Yeah, link the them final in the ones. End. Yeah, yeah. Please check. Or, them out. you know what? Should I? Should I? Try and revitalize our, our mailing list. There's, you know, our mailing list uh, has yeah. grown actually. Yeah, I just haven't paid attention to has it. Has it? I, I maybe, yeah, yeah. There's a few more people on this. It's been increasing. Um, oh, no. We did promise that once you get to 100, you do shout this photo. But we'll, we'll, we are 100. No, I don't. I think we might be. Oh, um, wow. But anyway, the point is, like, it is increasing. So maybe I should just put it in the mailing list. Yeah, we should join the mailing list and um, then go to two medics dot what was it com dot co uk and um, join the mailing list and. Um, Maybe we'll send some of the tweets that we didn't manage to get through out yeah. on there. Cool. Great. So, um, yeah. Well, it's nice to be back. Yeah. Um, and um, back. Uh, everyone have a great week. Try not to get cancelled. Look after each other. Be nice, etc., etc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. All right, guys. Take care. All right, then. Bye. Bye.